So spiritual warfare, we're going we're gonna to talk about spiritual warfare for the next three weeks. And uh, much of what we share, uh, I'm preaching this week and then Mason next week and then the, uh, I'll be preaching again on the third week. And much of what we share will come from, from this book uh, by Francis Frangipane called uh, three, The Three Battlegrounds. Uh, I encourage you to get this book. I, I think it's the best book on spiritual warfare that I've ever read. And I just encourage you, uh, if you want to buy that, it would be worth your time. Uh, we're going to look at three arenas for spiritual warfare, the mind, the church, and the heavens. Uh, now, in the introduction to his book, Frangipane quotes an ancient European proverb that goes like this, age and treachery will always defeat youth and zeal. Age and treachery will always defeat youth and zeal. Problem for most of us, many of us, uh, when it comes to spiritual warfare is we mean well, but we don't know enough. And so sometimes we enter in uh, with a lot of zeal and fervor in places where what we really needed was wisdom and humility. So, uh, the devil, just understand this, he's a, he is an ancient and treacherous enemy. And, and we will not be successful against him with arrogance and bravado. That's not the key. Uh, we need, as Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 10... We need wisdom and innocence. So I want, I want to turn uh, to Matthew 10. I'm going to read beginning at verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, how do you say that? Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts. No bag for your journey, no, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And then verse 16, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would teach us today. Uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, we want to learn from you. And so, Holy Spirit, we open ourselves to you and we say, speak to us. Give us ears to hear uh, what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So wisdom and innocence uh, are the key to our victory. Now, some of you may have no intention of ever initiating uh, spiritual warfare. You, you know, you may say, you know, really, Tom, what I want, I just want a peaceful existence. I, that's what I want. That's what I'm after. I just want a calm, peaceful, quiet existence. And this, you know, warfare, mm, no, not interested. And, and what you need to understand is that you may not ever initiate war against the devil but he has initiated war against you. He has. Uh, he wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. That, that's his agenda. And, and the key to victory for us, believe it or not, is submission. The key to victory in spiritual warfare is submission. Not submitting to the enemy, but submitting to Jesus. Uh, trusting, truly trusting and submitting to Jesus. The thing that births and grows wisdom and innocence in us is surrender. Surrender. Uh, Frangipane says in his book, victory begins with the name of Jesus on your lips, but it will not be consummated until the nature of Jesus is in your heart. It's the truth. You can clap. I didn't say it. Somebody else said it. So just clap. So here's the deal. Satan hates humility. He hates it. He hates it in you. And he is terrified of it in Jesus. He is. He's terrified of the humility of Jesus. When spiritual attack comes... One of the first things we have to do is determine whether this is by assault or invitation. The spiritual attack comes. And sometimes spiritual attack comes to you or on you because of who you are and what you have been assigned to and the, you know, the position that you have taken as a, a child of the king and the fact that you are living your life for the advancement of the kingdom. Sometimes, though, spiritual attack comes because we've invited it. And we invite it through sin. And where we allow sin to reign in our lives, we open the door, we give access to the enemy. Now, understand that I'm not just talking about grotesque sins. I'm talking about even culturally acceptable sins. Because the enemy has been given the right to reign in darkness. How many of you are afraid of the dark? How many of you were afraid of the dark when you were a kid? <laughs> How many of you still sleep with a light on? Okay, you don't have to say that. 
<laughs> I, I can remember, you know, we, we, there are a lot of us who grew up kind of in the city. We don't even know what the dark looks like, right? We've never been in the dark. My wife and I, one time, we hadn't been married for very long. We went out in the country. My, my grandparents had this trailer. It was out in the middle of nowhere. And there were no street lights. There was, I think, I'm pretty sure there was running water and electricity, but there, there was just, <laughs> yeah. It, it was way out in the country. And the first night that we were there, it kind of, time for bed, we turned the light off. And my wife said, what is that? I said, that's dark. That is dark. And there are a lot of us who were just afraid of the dark. The enemy has been given the right to reign in the darkness. Now, one, of the, one of the reasons that humility is so important in spiritual warfare is that if we dig our heels in and insist that we've done nothing wrong, then we become closed to repentance. And repentance is one of our greatest weapons in warfare. And so when I say that sometimes we invite spiritual warfare through sin, I'm saying that the way to close that door is through repentance. We have to be willing to, to see ourselves, to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I did this. I did this to myself and I want to close that door. And the way that you close that door is through repentance. In fact, sometimes the best thing that we can do when it comes to the enemy's accusation is agree with him. That just worried you, didn't it? But it's the truth. What if the enemy comes to me and he says, Tom, you're selfish. That's the way he's going to attack me. Today, he's going to say, Tom, you're, you're selfish. Now, I can argue with him. I can say, no, I'm not. You remember how you used to do that with your siblings? You know, if you're an only child, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But, <laughs> but those of you who have brothers and sisters, you know the argument. It's am to, am not, am to, am not. That's, that's all, those are the only words in it. It starts off with something like, you know, you're selfish, and then it goes into am not, am to, am not, am to, am not, am to. And it just goes on like that. And you can do that with Satan. When he comes to you and says, you're selfish, you can get into the am to, am not if you want to. And you, know where it's, you know where it's going? It's going the same place it went with your brothers and sisters. Nowhere. It will resolve nothing. Or you can just say, you know what? You're right. You're right. I'm selfish. But he says, I'm beautiful. He says, I'm beautiful. And he says that if I surrender to him, he'll help me to be unselfish. How about that? You're impatient. You know what? As a matter of fact, I am. I'm impatient. But he says, I'm loved. And that he's changing me. And he's allowing me to be patient and to be gracious. Because he lives in me. And he's the most unselfish, most patient 
person who's ever lived. And he's come to live in me and he's changing me and he's making me like himself. You see, the main way that the devil attacks us is through what the Bible calls strongholds. In the Old Testament, a stronghold was a fortress. A stronghold was a fortress. It was a place that was protected from enemy invasion. So it was actually a place that you went to hide. In sport, spiritual warfare, a stronghold is an area where now, I mean, I don't want to get too complicated. You know, I've been to seminary, okay? Been to seminary, in seminary again. And so if this is over your head, I will just tell me, just raise your hand and I'll explain it. A stronghold is an area where the enemy has a stronghold. Is that too much? (laughs) Understand, when it comes to the mind and the way that we think, strongholds in our mind, strongholds of thinking, are not fleeting thoughts. They're not fleeting thoughts. They are ways of thinking, mindsets that have taken root in your brain that seem to own you. Okay? Do you understand that? So pulling down these strongholds begins with repentance. Two of the primary strongholds of the mind are, we'll call failure and shame the same. So failure and shame and fear. Uh, I say failure and shame together because usually shame is caused by failure in, in some regards. So failure, shame, and fear. Fear uh, sometimes comes from past experiences that cause us to feel rejected. And, and I will just tell you right now that if the enemy can do anything in you, uh, he, he will try to make you feel rejected. That's one of his favorite things. Because you understand that the birthright of being a believer is what? Acceptance. The birthright of, of a believer is that we are invited by God into relationship. We are accepted by him. And so if the enemy can make you feel rejected, he loves that. And so if he can use failure or if he can use shame, he will do it to make you feel rejected. Now fear, uh, so fear is caused by past experiences that cause us to feel rejected and then failure is caused usually by self-judgment. Or, or results in self-judgment. If you fail, if you, you attempt something you don't do well, and you, then you judge yourself. And you, you say things about yourself that are not true. And you can build a fortress in your mind of thoughts about yourself, labels for yourself that are not true. And those things will begin to play out in your life because you have established this fortress in your mind. You know, this is kind of a simple thing, but a lot of times in childhood... If you try something and you don't do it really well right off the bat, you feel like a failure. You, I think I've told you all this before. And when I was in seventh grade, and you know, all the guys, if you, if you wanted a girlfriend, you had to be, you had to roller skate. I don't, is that a thing anymore? I don't know. I mean, but in my day, as a seventh grade boy, if you wanted a girlfriend, you had to be able to roller skate. And if you could, if you could skate backwards, oh yeah, all the better, all the better. 
Now, here's the deal. My wife still has her own skates. Got a little box for them with her name on it. I mean, she was a skater queen. Guess who couldn't roller skate? I, you know, so I tried it a couple of times. I was horrible at it. After I fell down and busted a few times, I just said, you know what? Skating's dumb. Skating's dumb, and why would I want to, you know, you don't even go anywhere. You just go in circles around this rink, and you, you know, you wind up, you end the same place you started. What's the point? And the reason that I turned my hatred towards skating was because it made me feel like a failure. I felt rejected. You know, my friends would laugh if I fell. And that's kind of the way these strongholds of our mind work. If you experience failure, you have an experience that, that doesn't go the way you wanted it to or expected it to, a stronghold in your mind can be formed uh, where you don't deal with failure very well. And, and you know, maybe it started with the first spelling test that you didn't do well on. Or maybe it started with the first time you're a parent yelled at you for something that, that you didn't do well. But you establish in your mind this rejection, failure, fear, all these things. This, this stronghold of your mind is formed and, and you live out of that. And it may have started when you were six and now you're 56 and it's still going on. It's still going on. So Peter, Peter told, or, or Jesus told Peter that Satan has asked to sift you. Now, I think sometimes, maybe I'm the only one, but I think sometimes we misunderstand what happened here. We don't really understand what the sifting is. Because Jesus says to Peter, you're going to be sifted. You know, the enemy, he, the devil has asked to sift you, and so he's been given permission to sift you. And we think the sifting was the denial, right? You know, Jesus uh, was just predicting the fact that Peter was going to deny him. And that's, that's part of it. That's what caused it, but that's not the sifting. All right, try to follow me here. So what happens is Peter gets tripped up because of pride. The thing that caused him to fall was pride. You remember he says to Jesus, doesn't matter what everybody else does. If everybody else leaves, I will follow you. I will die for you. That's what Peter said. That was his pride. And then Jesus says, you, you, Satan's asked to sift you and you're going to be sifted. And so you know the story. He goes in, you know, when Jesus is arrested, Peter denies him three times. Okay, here's the sifting. The sifting was not the three denials. The sifting was that he had to live with the denial for three days. The sifting was the shame, the, the feelings of, of just worthlessness. Think about it, guys. For three days, Peter would have said to you, Jesus is my Lord. He's my best friend. He is everything to me. And then he denies him three times and Jesus dies. 
And Peter's world ends. I, I cannot imagine that Peter was not suicidal. His world caved in, and the sifting was not the denials. The sifting was what happened after that, where the enemy just hammered him and hammered him and hammered him for three days. Three days of shame. And Jesus comes to Peter after the resurrection, and they're on the beach, and it's just like Terry said earlier. He didn't come and say, you know what, Peter? If from now on, you will never deny me again, I'll love you. He doesn't say, Peter, if, you know, if you'll just straighten up and fly right, I'll be your friend again. Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, you know I do. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, three times. Ironic, isn't it? Three times. You love me? Peter says, I don't know. You tell me. You know. And Jesus says, Feed my sheep. In other words, you're good enough. You do. Peter, you love me. I know you do. And I love you. And I'm going to use you. You're not disqualified. It's not over. You're not kicked out of the club. You're my guy. You are my guy. And the shame is overcome by the love. That's really it. The key to overcoming the strongholds of the mind is love. When you've been rejected, you release love through forgiveness. When you experience feelings of failure, you release love through accepting God's forgiveness. Now, in his book, Frangipane talks about uh, three sources of strongholds. And uh, so I want to talk about those for a minute, and then I'm going to give you one thing today to do uh, before we go home. So, three sources of strongholds. First is the world. The world is a source of stronghold. Uh, the world that we live in, the culture that we're a part of, the things that we hear, the things that we see, the things that we're taught in school, the things that are contrary to Scripture that are flying around in our culture take root in our minds and we don't know how to think for ourselves and we don't know how to take our thoughts captive because we're thinking through an unbiblical grid. I remember when we moved to Athens back in 1991 to work at the University of Georgia, one of the first things I recognized was that 
and, and I'm not picking on Georgia. This is universal. This is across our country, university system in America. One of their primary goals is to teach students, to teach a generation of young people, there is no such thing as truth. Everything is relative. That's, that's the agenda. Everything's relative. There's no such thing as absolute truth. And so even Christian kids, Christian young people, go off to college and maybe they had close to a biblical worldview when they left home. Maybe not. But four years, five years on a university campus, if you come out with a biblical worldview, it's a miracle. The world. A second source of strongholds is our, are our experiences. Uh, things that happen to us and the conclusions that we draw because of those experiences. Now, don't get me wrong. Experience can be really good. Experiences can be good. They can actually reinforce the truth of God's word in our mind. But when experiences don't immediately confirm what we have read and believed in the Bible, they can cause us to come to wrong conclusions about the Bible and wrong conclusions about God. For instance, if I read in the Bible as we read today that Jesus has given his disciples the power to heal all sickness and all disease. And I'm sick. And people pray for me. And I don't get well. Then I have to conclude either the Bible isn't true or God doesn't care. That's a stronghold of the mind. When experiences don't go the way we want them to go or don't line up immediately with what we expect, it plays with what we believe. The third thing, third area of strongholds, which kind of springs out of these bad experiences or can, Bad or wrong beliefs. Bad or wrong beliefs. Now, understand that there are more teachers and preachers in the world today than any time in history. There are more preachers and teachers, and they have more access to people than ever in the history of the world. And there's some really good ones. They really are. There are some really good teachers out there. And none of them are perfect. None of them. And so hear me on this. Pay, pay attention to what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying, not what you think I'm saying. If you spend more time listening to the words of your favorite preacher than studying the words of God, 
you're probably going to get in a ditch. I'm not anti-podcast. I listened to one one time. <laughs> Just because my wife and I were in it, but <laughs> I, you know, I, I barely know how to read email. I'm, not, I'm so technically challenged. If I didn't have Ashley Jones to do my administrative stuff, oh my gosh. I, I'm just, you know, so, but hey, I'm not anti-podcast. Listen, listen to your podcast, but don't let that be your primary source. God has written you a book. And he wants you to read it. He does. If you were in a love relationship with someone and they had written you letters, what would you rather do? Read the letters they had written you or go talk to somebody else about letters that they had written them? So get in his word. So the culture of this world, experiences and wrong beliefs, can all cause us to make wrong conclusions about who God is and what he's like. And these wrong conclusions hold us captive as strongholds of the mind. Now, this may be the most important thing that is said over the course of the next three weeks. So pay, pay close attention. The underlying purpose of spiritual warfare is not Defeating the devil. He has already been defeated. <laughs> the purpose of spiritual warfare is to make us more like Jesus. That's the whole purpose of it. God wants to transform you. Unfortunately, sometimes... We are only concerned with getting out of Egypt and could care less about the promised land. We just want out of Egypt. When trouble comes, we just say, God, get me out of this trouble. And then as soon as he gets us out of trouble, we just forget about him. Because we're not interested in being transformed into the image of Jesus. We're not interested in going on to perfection. We're not interested in becoming holy as he is holy. We just want to be out of trouble. Get us out of Egypt, God. So wrong beliefs about God or ourselves, put us in the ditch. And we cry out to God to get us out of the ditch, and we can't understand why he doesn't answer. And it's because he has a different purpose. He has a different agenda than just getting you out of trouble every time you put yourself in a ditch. God doesn't just want us out of the ditch. He wants to change us. He wants to change the way we see him. He wants to change the way we see ourselves. And he wants to change the way we see each other. So that we don't keep falling back in the ditch. So remember, victory begins 
with the name of Jesus on our lips. But it is not consummated until the nature of Jesus is in our heart. So God's answer to spiritual warfare, become more like Jesus. Become more like Jesus. James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Why will he flee? Because he is terrified of Jesus. Terrified. So here's the one thing I want you to do today. Uh, how about we do this first? Let me just ask our teams to come on up. Our prayer teams, you, you come on up. and uh, Because I'm, what I want to ask people to do today will involve you, hopefully. As our teams are getting in place, here's what I want to ask you. I want you to take a minute, and you may not even need it. I talked earlier about the darkness, and we talked about being afraid of the dark. And here's what I want to ask you. What, what is your darkness? What is your darkness? Is your darkness shame? Is your darkness fear? Is your darkness failure? Feeling, feeling like a failure? What is your darkness? What, what is the thing that causes you to just to clench up? So, so what I want us to do, just the one thing I want us to do today, is I want you to just Take a minute to pray, and I want you to ask the Lord, God, what is it? What's my darkness? Is it rejection? Is it loneliness? What, what, what is your darkness? And, and when you feel like you know what it is, I want you to come up here to one of these teams, and I want you to give your darkness to Jesus. You don't you don't have to carry that around. You really don't. That's the beauty of the cross. Everything dies there. Everything dies there. And then what's left after three days is Jesus. The things that he took to the cross, they stay dead. You don't have to carry that stuff around. What is your darkness? bring it to the cross, give it to Jesus, and go back to your seat without it. Okay? I'm going to stand. Jesus, help us today to be honest. Be honest with ourselves and honest with you and honest with these prayer teams up here and not to hide. It's okay. We know we're messed up. We know there's nobody, not a perfect person in this room. We know that. So, you know, stop, stop pretending. Just bring your junk up here. Bring your, 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 your darkness. Give it to Jesus and leave it. Lord, help us today in Jesus' name. Set us free, God. We want to walk out of this place today different than we came. Never the same again. Help us, Lord.